Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 6 here in just a moment. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark. I get the privilege of being one of the ministers uh, in this local community, and, and uh, we're glad you're with us. Uh, I, I can't stress it enough that we just had the female Apostle Paul on this stage. And uh, what a privilege it is to partner with someone so humble, so mild, and so dedicated to the gospel. What she's doing, some of you might, if you were here last week, you might remember the picture of the young man on screen, and I told you that a year or so ago he was in prison for dealing drugs, and now he's training for the ministry. It's part of her ministry and her influence and her work. So we hope in the next few weeks as you see her uh, around here that you'll take an opportunity to speak to her and just encourage her for the work that she's doing uh, for all of us across the globe. Uh, just a great partnership. Love being a part of it. Uh, if you are visiting with us, we are in week four of a seven-week series through this book in your New Testament, a letter written to a church in a particular town. Uh, it was called Colossae. We call it the Colossian letter. And we have been processing this now. This is our fourth week. We're in chapter two, verses 6 through 23, to the end of the chapter. And what I'm going to be able to do is I'm not going to be able, because of a limited amount of time this morning, which is okay, I'm going to just pull out some of the highlights and really encourage you to go deep this week in this particular text, because there's a lot of meat I'm going to leave on the bones. And I think it'd be worth your time to, to spend some time looking at it. What I want you to see is what Paul's doing in this letter, which he does in all of his letters. He begins with the theology. What is the truth we're dealing with? And then he deals with the practice of it. If this is true, then how do we live? We're beginning the transition into the how do we live section of Colossians. And what I want you to see is a simple hook. Paul is showing us because Jesus did this, you and I are able to do that. Because he did this, we can do that. It's not just because he did it, we do nothing. But because he did it, now we live in the that. And that's gonna be the word freedom this morning. And I'm gonna show you some things that we have that are made free in Christ and some things that you and I need to live out and practice to find greater freedom in these important ways. So let's look at the challenges we face regarding his supremacy. In other words, Paul's given us warnings, whether it's a skull and crossbones on poison or cleaning supplies, that warning is to tell us that there, if you don't use this properly, it's gonna kill you. And there are warnings all the time. Like when I go by a speed limit sign, it is a suggestion until an officer is near it, and then it's a command, right? So we know how to even ignore warnings. And so in light of that, Paul is gonna tell us some things that challenge us and some things that we need to hold on to. So let's begin. The challenge we face regarding his supremacy, verses six and seven. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Just as you received him. There's an expression used, and it can be interpreted, but sometimes it makes me uncomfortable because I think I hear people using it differently. And the question is, have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? The thing that bothers me about that particular phrase, if used improperly, is this. It's almost as if we're validating Jesus by choosing him. When it's just the opposite. We don't accept Jesus. He accepts us. We receive him as a gift. It is our honor. It is our privilege to have Jesus accept us back into his family after our rebellion. Church, can I have an amen? And so when, I mean, if you've ever said that, don't, it's not wrong to say it. Just make sure you say it well. 
that what I'm accepting is his death, burial, and resurrection. Because whether we accept Jesus or not, it doesn't change a thing about him. When we receive Jesus, it changes everything about us. And then Paul goes on to say, I want you to remember. And he shows us what knowing who Jesus is and that Jesus is enough, what it does for us. It, it roots us, he said, that we are rooted. Now, to be rooted in something means you can't be transplanting it over and over. I think I've shared this story before in kindergarten. We were planting grass, as every kindergarten kid does, clear cup, black soil, grass. And then we planted a bean, and I love the bean plant. Problem was, I had the only plant of the bean that did not grow in my kindergarten class. And the teacher was sad for me. And then she asked me, do you know why your bean didn't grow? And I said, I don't know. I pulled it out every day and looked at it. Rooted means you leave it be. Let it, let it saturate in Jesus and watch what happens. Because he says, if you do that, then you will be built up. So everything will begin to work the way God intends it. When we're rooted in Jesus, we become built up, we become strengthened, and we become overflowing with gratitude. This is the work Jesus is doing in us. So when the world offers you an alternative method to Jesus' way, you won't be rooted you won't be built up, you won't be strengthened, and you'll find out why you have no joy. So Paul has just laid it out very principally in front of us. Verse eight. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Paul challenges us, a warning, see to it. So we have a response to this. If you want to be rooted, built up, strengthened, and overflowing with gratitude, then you need to make sure that you don't buy into things that soften the truth of Jesus or take you away from it completely. You see, when Paul says, let no one take you captive, he's actually associating it with freedom in Jesus. Don't give away your freedom in Jesus to being taken captive by something that can't produce what it promises. Because when it's centered on Jesus and everything has value, if it's not centered on Jesus, it's only taking you captive. <clears throat> he even says that these things are not according to the revealed Christ. That takes us back to chapter one, verses 15 through 20, where Jesus is identified as God and everything in creation is centered in him, is held together by him, and it's all for him. Anything that is an alternate from that is not of Christ and it has no value. So what we've seen here is that there are some challenges to the supremacy of Jesus that we face every day. If you want to be rooted, built up, strengthened, and overflowing with gratitude, set yourself on Jesus and stay there. Don't be replanted over and over by every new philosophy and every new gimmick. Hold on to his truth. And the next step for all of us is not only hold on to that truth, but actually live it out and learn to experience it. Don't just believe it's true, experience its truth. Then... We go on to the gifts we receive through his supremacy. There are challenges to it that we have a, a voice in, we have a response to, and then there are freedoms. And what I want to do this morning is just very briefly give you an overview of this very rich passage. I want to show you three things that we have that Jesus produces in us, and I want to show you three things that you and I can produce within ourselves, centered on Christ. Three things he does for us, and the result is that there are three things we can do for ourselves in our freedom and not give away our freedom. Because I want to say this, this is my, my statement for the morning. We must be careful not to seek more when we already have all we need. 
The danger in Christianity is Jesus is a good starting spot, but you also need a good retirement plan. You need to be successful in business. You need to make sure you give your kids all these great opportunities. And I'm here to tell you, if you're adding or subtracting anything to Jesus alone, you don't have the gospel. You have a lie. Jesus doesn't need addition or subtraction. He needs submission. And we need to respond to the gospel in that way. You see, when we seek more than Jesus, it's idolatry. And you're like, but what idol am I worshiping? Yourself. You're worshiping your own self-worth, your self-importance, and your own ability to make your way. When you seek more than Jesus, it's faithless toward the words of God, as if the scriptures aren't enough, that what they reveal isn't sufficient for what you need in your everyday life. And also, seeking more disqualifies us from saving faith, because we are saved by our faith in Jesus Christ and the finished work of Jesus. If we add or subtract anything from the finished work of Jesus, we don't have saving faith. We have faith in our own ability to make sense of it all. So, three things Jesus positioned us for all by himself. And you and I have this if we're not taken captive by the lies of this world. The first is we have freedom from sin's power. First thing Paul points out in verses 11 and 12. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Paul does this equivocation here. What he shows you is there's a connection. In the Old Testament, males were circumcised by having the uncleanness of their physical body cut away. It was a sign of a covenant with God that their uncleanness was taken care of by God. And so they were part now of his covenant. Paul says that in the same way circumcision was a symbol used in the Old Testament, baptism is now a symbol in the New Testament of the cleansing of the blood of Christ through the water so that we might walk beyond death into life. Let me rephrase that less theologically. Baptism is not just something you have to do, it's something you get to do. It is a cleansing of yourself in the water, symbolically coming out to walk in newness of life, a life that will not end in death. It's, it's this covenant relationship with God. So what sin's power had over all of us was death. In Jesus and Jesus alone, death is ended. It was, put, it was put away. And we now walk in newness of life because of what Jesus offered us. We also have freedom from sin's claims. Not only does sin's power no longer have a say over us because of Jesus, but if our faith is in Christ, sin's claim has no claim on us at all. Paul explains it in 13 and 14. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Such a powerful statement. But not only does sin's power in our death no longer have a claim on us, but the forgiveness issue of the cross, the blood of the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus showing the the power of God's justice. And instead of God sending Jesus down, like Jesus had to say to God, you know, God, I got it. No, Jesus came as God to die on the cross so that the justice of God would be fulfilled in his own love. That he died, God died for our sins, nailing it to the cross. Paul even uses this beautiful expression, by nailing it to the cross, he has taken it away, 
And I'm told in the original language that Paul used, he would have been heard this way, taken away forever, never to return. A permanent removal. So the the power of death no longer is over us. The power of sin's claim that we are, are rebels against God has been taken away when Jesus nailed it to the cross. And we have freedom from spiritual threat. Paul uses imagery, wartime imagery here that's pretty powerful in verse 15. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Now, that terminology doesn't mean a lot to us in a Western culture in 2020, but let me explain what it would have meant then. When Rome would go in and conquer another nation, or they would go into a battle against another foe, the, the conquering general or leader of that army would be, would be captured. And if at all possible, they like to capture, capture them alive. That's why most would have themselves killed before caught by the Romans, because the Romans would make them pay a great price. One of that price was the conquering general would come into the great city, and behind him and his caravan of his winning army would be all of those that were captured, and they would be chained and tied together. And the leader of that force would be at the beginning, and they would be dragged through the city and ultimately terminated after it was displayed to everybody that this general who had fame and power and armies no longer has anything. And once everybody in the city saw that the conquered hero had lost his power, he was no longer a threat. Paul uses that same imagery in what Jesus gave us in his death, burial, and resurrection. He has dragged Satan from any semblance of power and by the cross and by the empty tomb, he has dragged Satan in front of us and he looks at them and says, he is powerless, fear him no more. The resurrection defeats our death. The cross defeats our sin. And Jesus takes away anything to be scared of. There is no threat against you if you're in him. He has conquered everything in front of us. So those are the three things Jesus gave us. Those are the three freedoms we have. Freedom from death, freedom from sin, and freedom from threat. But what are the things we're supposed to protect and hold on to? That we might not be taken captive. Because even in faith, there are some things that come in that are just, you know, Jesus plus one. Or Jesus plus two. And if we're honest with each other, and I think we can say it because we're talking about ourselves In the local church body, sometimes we love to attach things to Jesus that makes it real hard for us to get to him. It's like we started with Jesus and then we look at God and we go, I got it from here. No, we don't. Remember, Jesus doesn't need our help. He needs our submission and trusting him completely. So let me share three things with you. We can have the freedom from posturing. Okay, It's one of the freedoms we have to protect with everything we are. What do I mean by posturing? Posing. Use whatever word, whatever word that we use to project an image of ourselves that is better than we know the reality to be. Jesus didn't say, follow me and fake it. In fact, he said, follow me when we were sinners. So being truthful about who we are may be one of the most graceful things we can offer a world that wonders if the church works. When when they believe walking in here that we got it all figured out, it takes them about 30 seconds to find out we don't. So let's begin with the posture. I don't have it all figured out, but this isn't about me. This is about Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we disrespect his blood. We disrespect his sacrifice. We disrespect his call to holiness. Of course, we wouldn't do that. But we do hold on to these things. Look at verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. 
These are shadows of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Jesus. You see, as one of our elders said when we were praying about this morning, it's very true. Coming to church is a good thing unless you come to church and have nothing to do with Jesus, and then it's a bad thing. We set these standards of, well, I go to church. Well, where do you go to church? I go to such and such a church in such and such a town. Everybody gives you a hall pass like, you must be a good person. Let's be real honest. That's posing. You can attend church each and every week and have no relationship with Jesus. We all know that. I've had seasons of my life where I've had that. Our encouragement is not to say stay away. It's like, no, wake up and come for the real reason. Make it about Jesus. And I, I make you a promise from behind the curtain. If you make this place about Jesus, it'll become far more interesting. If you make it about yourself or about me, you'll be done in a week. It's not about how we present ourselves in the new festivals and the new Sabbaths and all these new things that we want everyone to think we're something. No, the reality is we are nothing without Jesus Christ, but in him we are chosen, we are adopted, we are sons and daughters of the king. So we don't have to present ourselves, we get to present him. We can also have freedom from needing an experience outside of Jesus. This is very common in our culture today. I'm not making fun of it. We just need to point it out. Remember, if you want to be rooted, built up, strengthened for that wonderful joy that comes in that, then you have to remind yourself what you're never going to be taken captive with again. And part of that is that I start with Jesus, but if I'm not feeling something and everything's not going perfectly and all my prayers aren't answered or, or my life is still as jacked up as when I started, you may be looking for something from Jesus he never promised you. And so we want to stay away from this needing an experience outside of Jesus. Because regardless of what is said in the largest churches in the United States of America, I'm going to tell you what the Bible says. If you follow Jesus, you will suffer. And so sometimes Jesus doesn't give you the experience you're seeking. He gives you the experience you need. And the beautiful part of it is he stays with you every second of it. He never leaves you. Even in suffering, Jesus never leaves us or abandons us. He strengthens us even in our suffering. Verse 18, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. What Paul is telling us there is there's a bunch of people who are trying to say, I started believing in Jesus as my salvation, but now that I got my salvation, I'm going to live my own life with my own experiences. And Paul says, if you become disconnected from the head, you die. Protect yourself. So that no one offers you anything that does not lift Jesus up first. And if it lifts Jesus up first, follow it with everything you are. But if it's just an experience to prove your value and your worth, stay away from that. And that's the challenge in a celebrity culture we live in today, where everyone's an influencer, whatever that means. Now, the influencer came, died, was raised, and lives again. Don't follow any other influencer but that one. Because he's proven... The rest are suggesting they can deliver, and they can't. Why should we be concerned about this? Because the Bible's very, very clear in multiple places. Satan can counterfeit experiences. Church, are you with me? You want a high. Satan can give you a high. It won't last. And you'll end up lower when you started. But Satan can bring a high. So freedom from having to present ourselves as what we're not, and, and freedom from looking for an experience to make us feel something. But we also can have freedom from faithless self-denial. 
That's a big expression. What does faithless self-denial mean? Let me have Paul explain it first, and then we'll talk about what it means for people like you and me. Verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have the appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgences. What does this mean? Well, I hope you allow me to, you know, I hope you know most of the time I try to be funny, it's really just for me. If you laugh, that's a bonus. But let's have a little light moment. I was raised in the church, and I don't want to disrespect the bride of Christ because that's, it's not my role, and I don't have an opinion that could do that. But sometimes in the local church, Paul would caution us that we have made things come between us and Jesus that were never intended to be. <coughs> Excuse me. I went to Bible college before I found out Christians didn't play cards. Uh, I was told Christians didn't dance, and I disagreed. We don't dance well, but we all dance. <laughs> I was told that if you went to dinner on a Sunday afternoon, you made someone work, you were breaking the Sabbath. I was taught a lot of things that weren't in the Bible that I thought made me a better Christian if I adhered to them. They actually didn't make me a better Christian. They actually made me need Jesus less. Paul says, don't let anybody tie things to your back that I didn't intend. The grace of Jesus is enough. That doesn't mean we, we try to push the grace of Jesus to cover all of our selfishness. Don't get me wrong. I am telling you, however, that you can't let the world attach things to you that just aren't scriptural. Does it lead us to Jesus? Follow it. Does it make Jesus unnecessary? Abandon it. Don't argue about it, but don't let anybody tell you that if you do such and such and such and such, you must really not love Jesus. What do the scriptures say? And what the scriptures say are true, and what Jesus calls us to is personal holiness, but don't make your standard of personal holiness keep another person from understanding the grace of Jesus. I talk to people all the time in this community. They think the worst thing in life you can be is a Christian. Why? Because it's a big list of what you can't do. Man, I'd love for the church to stand up in its freedom and start talking about what I can do. I can escape death. I can escape power. I can escape hope. I have all of these things. I have a hope inside of me that says, in my worst abject failure, Jesus Christ is enough. What he did on the cross matters. In a legalism that says you make the church work, no, we don't. It's his church. It's his authority. We submit. Walk in freedom. Don't let anybody tie you down with these things. Paul says, don't be taken captive by anything that makes Jesus less significant and you and me more important. So have you been washed free in the waters of baptism so you might experience the resurrection? Have you allowed the blood of Christ to take away the claim of sin on your life and your rebellion? Do you trust him to be enough by faith so that there is no spiritual threat to you? You are his, you are chosen, and you are loved. If you haven't made those decisions, we'd love to have a conversation with you at one of the tables with the lamps lit, or maybe after service, or you'd like to schedule an appointment this week. See, we want to offer you a freedom the world can't give you. And it's a freedom the world can't take from you. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. 
We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.